Well, let's uh, join together and pray as we look into God's word further as we hear a sermon. Dear God, we give you thanks that it is Christ who has died and risen again for us to show us your great love. Thank you, Father, for your great love for us, especially as we consider all that you have done and continue to do and will do for us as your beloved children. We pray, Lord, that you will open our ears and our hearts today as we hear from your word. We pray, Lord, that you bless each one of us as we look into what your word teaches us about money. And we pray, Lord, that you'll prepare our hearts to hear your word today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Musos. Well, happy 2024. Happy New Year. We're looking at uh, a new theme just for a couple of weeks. Last week, you might remember, if you were here, we looked at the idea of worship. And what did it look like to worship the Lord? Is it just what we do when we gather together on a Sunday? Is it something that happens only very rarely? Is it something that happens perhaps weekly? Or is it something more? And we said that worship isn't just a one-off event. It's not something that happens just occasionally. It's a daily activity. It's a mindset. It's a way of living that includes worshipping God even in the midst of mundane or dirty jobs in life. So if it's something that encompasses all of life, one of the ways that we should consider how we worship God is with our money. And of course, this is nothing new. If you've listened to any songs ever written in the last 50-odd years, it's a big theme. All right, Abba, money, 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 always sunny in a rich man's world. Dire Straits told us that ain't working, that's the way to do it. Get your money for nothing and your chicks for free. Okay, that's what they said. That's a big theme, isn't it? Money. Pink Floyd had the same thing. Money, it's a gas. Grab that cash with both hands and make a stash. And later on in that same song, the the singer Roger Waters says, money, so they say, is the root of all evil today. Now, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? We often hear this kind of bandied around, money is the root of all evil. But that's not really what Paul says to Timothy, is it? It, As we heard from Lenny earlier, it's not exactly right. But we are going to see a little bit of what Paul does think uh, the Christian approach to money should be as we look at these passages from uh, 1 Timothy. So let's look. Uh, Timothy a young guy taking on the role, pastoring a church in Ephesus, big city, uh, used to be a place Paul had been. And today we're going to see that Paul writes to Timothy and warns him of prosperity preaching. He encourages him to consider a bit about tithes and treasures and encourages him to put godliness above gold. So we're going to look at these three things today. So money is an important area of life for all people everywhere. Uh, The the Old Testament, New Testament, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, and no doubt it will continue to be something important for people for as long as I can foresee. Uh, Jesus speaks about money. The Old Testament speaks about money. The New Testament speaks about money. Churches, I think, though, today sometimes go astray. Uh, When we're talking about money, either we don't do it enough or we do it too much or we get the funny ideas about what money is all about. And it's sometimes said that the last part of the person to be converted is the hip pocket. Uh, So (laughs) it's a joke. It's okay. (laughs) 
But as much as you might see that that's a problem today, I want to make the case that it's actually something that Paul was talking about way back when, 2,000 years ago, and it seems that the same problems that Christians have understanding what to do with money existed 2,000 years ago. And it seems in Ephesus uh, there were a number of false teachers active in the place. Uh, Timothy has the job to watch out for these false teachers, has the pastor of this church in the city of Ephesus. Uh, Paul has raised up this guy to be his apprentice. Paul's moved on and he now writes Timothy a letter, a pastoral letter to encourage him, warn him, uh, and just to help him do the job that he has to do. And so in verses 2 to 4, you can see uh, that Paul says, if anyone doesn't agree or doesn't teach the things that Jesus did, then you've got a very big problem. Uh, If they deviate from the sound doctrine that Paul has received, that Jesus taught, then they are conceited and they know nothing. So that's the litmus test for who is and who isn't a false teacher. The person who goes away from and teaches different from what Paul teaches, what Jesus taught, that is false teaching. And now, what is it exactly? I'm sure it takes many forms, but in this particular instance, the false teaching has something to do with money. Now, again, the city of Ephesus is a big place, uh, very multicultural, very wealthy. A lot of people probably had a lot of money. So it's not that people were too stingy, that doesn't seem to be the issue that people were uh, too busy hoarding their money. It seems like they've got so much money they don't know what to do with it and they're being swindled. They're being conned out of their money, a bit like we Australians. Australians lost an estimated $3 billion, yes, that's right, billion dollars to scammers in the year 2022. Across the whole nation, if you add it up, Every dollar that people had been fleeced, you would get nearly three billion. A bit naive, pretty wealthy by world standards, easy to scam, and so it seems that these false teachers are taking that approach in Ephesus. The false teachers not only disagree with Paul and disagree with Jesus, but in verses 4 and 5, what are they doing? They're taking an unhealthy interest in controversies. Uh, They're trying to stir up strife and malicious talk, uh, sowing evil suspicions. There's this generating friction between people, and none of this is good. None of this is a mark of a healthy church. And so... Here we've got the final problem, the nail in the coffin. They are telling people that godliness is a means to financial gain. And there it is, isn't it? That's the problem. Godliness leads to financial gain. Oh, if only you'll become a Christian or perhaps that's the mark of being a true Christian is that you are wealthy, that everything is going well for you, that your business is a success, that you're turning over lots of profit. That is the mark of being a healthy Christian in the minds of these false teachers. And you know what? It's the mark of a very sick and unhealthy culture within some churches even today. Uh, It works like this. Uh, You tell everyone that if you have faith in Christ, uh, Jesus will bless you and you'll be wealthy and happy and everything will go really well. You'll have tons of money just like me. 
That's what the false teachers would say, right? Give money and you'll get money. Just look at me. It works. It's a principle. It's a, a thing that you can benefit from and that's why I'm so wealthy is because I'm so godly and if only you were as godly as me, you could have as much money as I have. You see these kinds of people on TV today and no doubt on the internet. But, you know, that's the exact same thing the prosperity preachers do today that was going on 2,000 years ago. Godliness is not the end goal itself. It is the means to financial success. And that is not at all what the Bible teaches us about money. Godliness is and of itself great gain, Paul says. Godliness with contentment. But let's see what the Bible does and doesn't teach about tithes and treasures then. You might find that Paul is having a go at these false teachers for these reasons. I'm sorry it's so small. But the idea is that you might have heard, and this comes up in some churches, uh, that there's a tithe, a 10% figure that you have to give to the church. Now, even though that there's an element of truth to that, I'm going to burst the bubble. Right? That's not quite right. In the Old Testament, we do come up with that figure. The people of God are expected to give a 10% tithe, that's what it means, tithes, 10%, of their grain and products to God. Uh, you can read Deuteronomy 14. Uh, God is instructing the people of Israel to give 10% of what they've grown to the temple. But they're also instructed to give 10% of their produce to support the work of the priests and Levites. That's in Numbers 18. And then there's a third tithe, again, at the end of Deuteronomy 14. Uh, this one happens every three years to support the widows, the orphans, the sojourners, the people who are impoverished in their community. And the idea was that in the Old Testament, God was the owner of all the things, all the land, all the crops, all the people. And as they gave back to God, it's only fair since it's his stuff to start with. It's God's land, it's God's crop, it's God's people, it's everything belongs to him anyway, so we could afford to give back to him generously. So yes, there is a 10% figure, but that's not the only figure. There's at least three tithes mentioned in the Bible, and that is on top of what God's people would already give in sacrifices and offerings. There were burnt offerings for the cleansing of sin. Uh, there was burnt offerings for uh, lambs and bulls, for all kinds of things. There'd be offerings, Thanksgiving offerings as well, on top of all the regular things that would take place. So, all up, it's probably not a 10% giving that the people of Israel would have. It's more like 25%. So any church that's saying, oh, you must give 10%, well, that's good, I'm fine, okay, you can say that. But there's no New Testament example of that at all. That's an Old Testament model, and it's not even very accurate. It's more like 25%, not 10%. Now, there was some point to this. Uh, the government that we have today is quite different. Uh, we have to pay taxes, there's all sorts of things that we incur, uh, money expenses and that sort of stuff. So it's not that we should just adopt automatically exactly what the Old Testament did, but there certainly is a principle here. 
a principle of generous giving, a principle of giving to help those who are in need, and a principle of giving to support the work of ministry. Now, in the Old Testament view, uh, it wasn't hyper-capitalism where everybody accumulated as much wealth as they possibly could, uh, nor was it communism where no one owned anything and everybody was equally impoverished. Uh, People owned things and they could generate money, and when they did, the expectation was that they would also give generously to support others. Uh, Throughout the wisdom literature, uh, Proverbs in particular picks up this theme of having not too little and not too much. Uh, Proverbs 30 says, uh, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. So this is wisdom. It's a a principle by which to live. Ask God to help you be wise with your money. Give you enough, not too little, not too much, just enough. Well, that's fair, isn't it? That seems to be the New Testament pattern as well because Paul himself and Jesus speak often about money and they're giving examples of Everyday life activities, particularly in the Gospels. Uh, Jesus himself mentions this in Mark chapter 12. He praises the widow who puts in just two tiny little coins because out of her poverty she put in everything she gave abundantly out of her poverty. Other people may have been there putting in tons of money in the coffers, but they could afford to. She couldn't. And so Jesus praises the woman who puts in a tiny amount because as a proportion of what she owned, it was enormous. She gave everything to God. In Matthew 6, Jesus again says, Man cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Which one is it? People of Ephesus. Uh, Is it God who you worship or is it money? Now, there's nothing wrong with having money. It is a great servant, but a terrible master. It's a good thing to have, there's no doubt. There are many opportunities that life presents that if you've got money, you can take advantage of. Certainly, it may lead to an easier life in some sense, but it shouldn't be our sole focus in life to generate more money. Uh, The Bible Project, an online ministry and a YouTube channel and uh, guys who do this podcast have this fantastic episode called God and Money. Does a Christian tithe 10%? And in it, they talk to two very wealthy young professionals in their 20s who earn enormous amounts of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars each in the US, working for oil companies and big tech. And what they're suggesting is that these guys started thinking about what it means to worship God with their money because they've got lots It's a really interesting and very encouraging episode of this podcast. They've decided that they're going to increase their standard of giving way above whatever the minimum might be, simply because they can. Uh, Their goal is not to earn a really high income and amass a fortune for themselves. Their goal in these jobs is to generate as much money to support ministry as they can. 
Now, for Christians, it can be tempting to look at others and say, oh, if only I had what they had. Uh, But I want to encourage you that this is nothing new. Christian generosity has been a thing forever. Uh, We look at some of the examples in the early church, of course, and no doubt at the turn of last century, I want to give you the example of a man called John Goodlett. There's another great book if you don't want to read Being the Bad Guys or you finish that, you can read this one, uh, More Valuable Than Gold. And this is the story of a very wealthy businessman, John Goodlett, a philanthropist who made very generous donations to all kinds of charities, the Sydney Hospital, the Benevolent Society, the Presbyterian Church. In his great wealth, he gave abundantly. He gave generously. In fact, funding that church, which stands today, and I've been there, in Ashfield, and in today's money, he gave one and a quarter million dollars. That's just the money he gave to the project. That's not his income for the year. That's what he gave away. So it's safe to say he had some money. But what did he do with it? Well, he funded all sorts of stuff, hospitals, schools, churches, other charities, And so there's a man here who, in his great wealth, gives and gives generously. Now, there was nothing wrong with him having a business and earning lots of money. It's fine, by all means. If you're in that position, praise God. That's wonderful. But just consider where your heart is, because there your treasure is also. You may well be a bit like this one person I knew in a church I used to go to, Uh, There was a very wealthy couple, and I know who they are, and they certainly had plenty of money. Uh, She would wear expensive clothes and plenty of jewellery, dressed to the nines every Sunday, and then always having a fairly new car every couple of years, buying a brand new European car. Then the plate would go around at church and they'd put in five bucks. That was it. And you sort of sit there and you scratch your head and you go, hang on, that doesn't add up in my mind. That's not even 10%. That's probably not even a tenth of 1%. That's that's hardly anything. Okay, I guess that's fine. They can give what they like. But it seems to me, and it probably seemed to others, that this spirit of generosity didn't exist. This idea of giving to others, giving to the gospel, wasn't a high priority. So what is a high priority then if you've got a high income Uh, If you're like some of these guys who I mentioned earlier on that podcast in the States working for an oil company earning hundreds of thousands, well, you probably could easily give away 80, 90% of your income. Uh, Don't think of the 10% as the maximum. Now, this is the goal. You've got to give 10% and that's it. If you can afford to give 80 or 90% of away, well, by all means, do it. You could still live a very comfortable life if you did. So there's godliness and gold and sometimes I think we need to figure out which one we value more so having money is not the problem Uh, we sometimes though need to balance our desire for money with our desire to know God and so it isn't money that Paul condemns he doesn't say money is the root of all evil he says it's the love of money that's the problem Uh, and he says as a counter to that what should we have instead a godliness with contentment is great gain. Rather than seeking to use our Christian faith as a way to gain more money, what Paul says is 
seek to gain more of God, that's true value. And the reason that we can be contented is found in verses 9 and 10. Uh, If you look here, the the love of money causes people to fall into temptation. Uh, The word perhaps is better translated as a trap or a snare. It's like what you would put out for a bird who thinks there's an easy meal here on the branch with a couple of berries, swoops down only to be caught in the snare, and instead of having an easy meal, they are the easy meal. That's the love of money. If that's your sole purpose, if that's your heart's desire, the thing that you want more than anything, be careful because it won't be long before you're a bird in a snare. A long story short, Paul is saying that the love of money can kill you. And really, that's the point of verse 10. The love of money leads people to leave the faith entirely. So rather than seeking to have more money and run the risk of leaving Jesus, seek to have more of Jesus even if that costs you money. If you want anything for the new year and if you've set any New Year's resolutions, I might encourage you to think about this one, to have more godliness with contentment for 2024. And we often sit down at the beginning of the year, don't we, and we look at our budget and we think about where our expenses may be and we sit down and consider how much money it's going to cost. We often wonder about where are we going to get this money from and how much are we going to earn. But do we ever do that with godliness? Do we ever take stock at the beginning of the year and say, I wonder how much godliness I could grow in in 12 months? How much more of Jesus could I have How much more of God? It's a hard thing to measure, isn't it? Because it's not numbers on a page that we can easily track. But I think it's evident in the way that we act. And one of the ways that we can act is through radical, generous giving if we're able. And that's what uh, inspired in uh, 1999 the Christian songwriter Tommy Walker He wrote a song called That's Why We Praise Him and it goes, that's why we praise him, that's why we sing, because he gave his everything. He's talking about Jesus. If you want a model for radical, generous giving, consider Christ. Uh, Jesus, what did it cost him to save us? Everything. He laid down his very life. He was often hungry and tired and exhausted, but he would give of himself to heal the sick. He ultimately lays down his life on the cross for us. What did it cost him? Everything. But he was willing to do it. So can you see how following Jesus as our example should change the way we think about money? Yes, money is a useful tool. It is a great servant, but a terrible master. This year, if we're going to seek anything, seek godliness over gold. Again, I'm not saying that you shouldn't make good financial decisions. You should. This is an important aspect of our Christian walk. How we use our money can be an act of worship. But the love of money is a real danger. So for those who are seeking to earn more money and really not focusing too much on growing in godliness, and especially for those who seem to think that godliness is a means to financial end, you really need to check your heart. 
You need to stop and think, assess where it is that your true love lies because if it isn't with Jesus, it's time to stop and make godliness with contentment, which is in and of itself great gain, your New Year's resolution for 2024. So let's pray and ask God to help us be content with what we have and be generous to others. Father, we pray as we've heard your word that you will convict us. Lord, change our hearts, make us more like you. Help us to be like Jesus, willing to sacrifice all for the benefit of your kingdom and for others. Father, we ask that you help us to value godliness with contentment above all else. Help us, Lord, to see the pattern of generosity within the Bible. And Lord, we pray that you'll work on each and every one of us so that we might have more of you, even if it costs us money. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.